started going down department stores, literally looking at who are all the brands that they carry and how many of those brands are designers of color and realized that less than 1% at the time were designers of color. And I was like, okay, this is it. I have to at least try to be a part of the solution. Hello everyone and welcome back to You Have to Wear Something. So much has happened since the last time I was running my mouth. So fun fact, I have a journalism degree and I minored in French. I had this idea of becoming the most culturally literate, lifestyle obsessed fashion editor ever until I realized how dismal opportunities were in this industry we call fashion. But one of the reasons I considered that route was because of Andre Leon Talley. You ever notice how kids don't do what you say, they mimic what you do. And that was me for a while, watching and reading about this giant of a black man at Vogue, who for a long time was the only black face in the front row of runway shows and one of the most eloquent detailed fashion critics to ever do it. Y'all know an intelligent black queer child of the South cannot fully embrace several of his identities. Just being a black man, Andre had to navigate social circles from a place of calculated repression. Watch the gospel according to Andre Leon Talley. I'm sure I have an ancient review of it in my archive shows. That loss along with Sidney Poitier and Betty White were tough, y'all, I know that. But we should remain inspired to do all the things now, even if it's only 70% complete. And speaking of closure and the loss of black fashion giants, did you get a chance to see that last menswear show at LV designed by Virgil Abloh? Virgil Abloh approached the arts with endless curiosity spreading himself across fashion, music, and interiors with childlike wonder. Since his death in November, the industry has struggled to grapple with the loss of someone whose activity had always appeared to be ceaseless and whose mere presence became the blueprint for a generation of young creatives. LV had two shows, a public one for buyers and a private one for family and his closest friends. Similar to Kanye's Donda concerts, Abloh's show was centered around his childhood home on the runway was a collision of tailoring with sportswear and streetwear with bridal wear. There were cape-like tracksuits, fuzzy bags, billowing scarf shirts, sequined suits, and varsity jackets plastered in cartoonish motives. Male models became brides in veiled snapbacks and swollen tool skirts. Tyler, the creator, composed a soundtrack with arrangements by Arthur Verokai, performed by the Chineke Orchestra. The Chineke Foundation was created in 2015 to provide career opportunities to establish an up-and-coming Black and ethnically diverse classical musicians in the UK and Europe. As the score concluded with a touching rendition of Tyler's 2017 See You Again, There was always an emphasis on humor, community, and togetherness with Abloh. Let's remember his simple mantra, you can do it too. 
Now I'm a bit behind on my just like that recaps, but I just may be the only one enjoying this reboot. I've heard that the show is unrealistic, the diversity is forced, and reception depends on how you identify and where you are in life, and if you actually watched Sex in the City when it was on the air. Let's get into these three last episodes, the first being Diwali. Sarita Chowdhury's character Seema is one of my favorites, a real self-made power woman, single, strong, but also vulnerable. Also just so gorgeous to watch, and I'm sure she is fun for wardrobe to dress. Was I happy they featured the Hindu traditional festival of lights? Yes. Did they approach it in a surface and lazy way? Yes. It wasn't featured enough for the episode to be named Diwali. The clothing they referred to as saris were actually not saris at all. They are lehengas, a totally different traditional Indian garb. And the cringe part of the whole reboot is the diverse character having to hold white women's hands through being woke, even though Carrie is supposed to be this citizen of the world and a successful author in New York. She definitely should have heard of Diwali before. The next episode was a cute throwback to Carrie sitting in that window writing. But I was almost confused by the time lapse. Was it a year, a few weeks, or a few months? I had to do research to find out it was a three month time lapse of Carrie finishing her memoir, Loved and Lost, which apparently is a huge bummer. Yes, Sex in the City had a whole different energy of young women having a lot of sex while dating in New York. All of that shit slows down as you grow older and wiser. But Carrie answers her editor's challenge to go on one day. Well, I was not expecting an awkward first date between a widow and a widower to end up a vomit fest all over a really nice Norma Kamali outfit. I love that he bid on her for a date and an auction to apologize. Now we are seeing a lot of Miranda in all of these episodes, and I mean a lot of Miranda, areolas and nipples. Lately is all about Miranda, and it probably makes sense since there's no Samantha. Someone needs a sexy storyline, and I can't help to think about the influence of Cynthia Nixon actually being queer in real life. I think Normally, we are so used to seeing the perfectly pretty main character with the killer body, and if they are older, they have an abundance of plastic surgery. So many may be uncomfortable with the deets of this storyline, but too bad, it's a different time. Not just women age, men age too. We all get older if we are lucky, and older people get lucky. They have tons of sex going on post 50 and post 60. The relationship with Che is going insanely fast, and I do feel bad for poor Steve. He's basically getting cheated on and eventually left without a chance to revive his marriage. Miranda is done, honey. It's admirable to give um, Naya a much needed storyline of infertility amongst black women since it's never ever discussed or addressed with proper support. But just like that also does not seem to know how to use is black characters. They feel tossed in like cilantro on tacos. And I guess black viewers just have to be happy to see ourselves at all. 
But in Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, Miranda gets called out on her bullshit and she sneaks out of a protest to avoid her son and his girlfriend. Miranda is nothing but defensive and not at all apologetic for dragging Che unknowingly into a homewrecker situation. Miranda knows damn well she should have brought up her marriage sooner, but Che's ultimatum becomes the lever to actually force Miranda to do something about her sad marriage, which is also bullshit. She and Steve have been together for decades and he's obviously a caring, compassionate person. She could have just talked to him about how unhappy she was before. To be honest, Miranda was never fully happy with Steve. Steve was tolerated and having Brady was the glue holding them together for years. I feel like Aiden is about to creep in because I think they still have a business together. I feel like Miranda was also a bit too quick in saying she was fine with a non-traditional relationship, which Che is clearly not interested in. Miranda may think she's in a rom-com, but she may be truly surprised if she finds out Che is also Polly. I do love the place of agreement Carrie and her neighbor comes to because Older folks can forget easily what it was like to give time to the wrong guys and have late night loud drama. I love the care in Carrie's eyes, giving big sister or mentoring vibes to the young neighbor I hope they end up cool. I really do. I know y'all thought that smoke around the block outfit was ugly, but I loved it only because that's exactly what I would wear to meet the Postmate delivery dudes. But until next time, as always, peace.